You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two punts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the 19th episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Um, very fortunate to have a special guest, uh, Carl Morris, on the call today. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, Ollie. Good to be here. Good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, Carl is a, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure many of you do, he's a uh, performance coach. I'm a massive fan of your podcast, Carl. Really love love that. And I've attended a couple of your workshops as well. You do all over the country. Well, normally, anyway, you do them all over the country. In normal times when we can stand in front of an audience and speak to people. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I enjoy doing the most. So, yeah, we've... uh, I'm, I'm, I'm short of human company, Ollie, unfortunately, in terms of, uh, in terms of presentations. Hopefully we'll get back to that at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be good to, uh, to get you back down at Ross. Um, and, you, and your books are wonderful as well. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading um, the two books. So, uh, Thank yeah, you. It's, uh, it's good. And I recommend it to all the listeners. So, um, Carl, we're going to have a sort of a, a friendly discussion today, if you're happy, just on sort of life and um, yeah. see how we go. We haven't um, we haven't sort of pre-discussed this, so we'll uh, we'll rock and roll. That's the way we'll... I always do it, Ollie. I don't I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a line of questions. I think that's the best way of doing it, sort of a non-linear way of uh, of interviewing. Brilliant, great stuff. It's a bit like well, it's like a non-linear. It's a bit like golf. Would you say? <laughs> Completely, yeah. I think uh, if, if if we look at the game of game of golf, uh, it's probably the most chaotic game in the sense that you know, you've got a you've got a an ever changing dynamic environment. You've got uh, an ever changing golf course. You've got an ever changing body. You've got an ever changing sort of state of mind that you're in. Uh, it's, it's the most non-linear game there is, and yet we tend to try and solve all the problems in a very linear, structured fashion and. Uh, the more I've looked at it, the more we can sort of go down some pretty, uh, pretty dark holes by 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 trying to fix things by by linear thinking. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's so true, isn't it? Can you like expand on that, Carl? Like on the on the yeah non-linear type type of coaching. What uh, yeah, expand on that. What do you well, let's about? take let's take putting for example, Ollie, because I mean, it sounds like from the title of your podcast, that's an area dear to your dear to your heart. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you if you look at the, the the sort of standard solution for improving your putting, it's to the idea that you would stand in the same place and repeat a movement over and over and over again, with perhaps some constraints like a mirror or some clubs or things like that, and in the hope that then you would go out on the golf course and you know that would transform your putting now i'm not saying there's not a place for that in terms of developing some efficiency of movement or giving your brain a framework to work with but then you know the number of people that i've seen do that work endlessly on creating robotic movement spend hours and hours in the same place you know you can usually tell when they've been on the putting green in the summertime because you've got two big footprints where they've been for three hours and then they get out on the golf course and it doesn't really transfer but then you look at, okay, well, what's the requirement of being a good putter? Well, fundamentally, the requirement of being a good putter is that you are able to predict what a golf ball will do on a particular putt with one chance to do it, one opportunity to read it, and you'll have never had this putt before and you'll never have this putt again in these conditions. 
So if if the ability to, to become a good putter is about prediction of what a ball will do based on one attempt, surely more of our practice should be a, a based around that theme that you that you get good at prediction based on one attempt rather than endlessly repeating the same movement over and over again. Because you know what what we do know and you know anecdotally people will say that when they put really well they'll you'll hear phrases like oh I, I knew it was going in the hole well how do you know it was going in the hole it's probably because you, your your imagery on that particular put was really really strong so you know I'm, I'm a big believer in what you do before the put before you actually step up to the ball is a huge factor now if you're only ever working on your putting stroke you know, I'm believing I'm not I'm not anti-technique, but if you're only ever working on that, you're actually missing out a huge part of the puzzle of becoming a good putter. Because you know, the creative element, the imagination that's involved in in giving your brain body system a map to operate on, you know, that's hugely important. You know, I don't think many of your listeners have probably spent enough time uh, working on and, and improving their imagination. And then you also look at what is another big factor is your ability to deal with missing because most of the time, even a great putter will miss a lot of putts, you know? So the idea of, of what you do after the ball has missed and your reactions to that, I think that is, again, is a, is a huge area to get better at. But if you're just standing there watching one <clears throat> ball go in the hole after another, you, you're not working on any of those factors that are so important once you get out onto the golf course, you know, and, and not only, you know, as I understand it from the motor skill re learning is that there's that rote repetition of the same movement over and over again is really a poor learning strategy. You know, it's not how we learn to get better and develop skills. So um, that's probably a long answer to a short question, but it, it, it basically to me, to me, it involves getting really clear on what are the requirements to actually become a good putter and, and having a, a, a stroke that is, I'll use the phrase repetitive, is only a small part of a, a really quite big, but very, very interesting puzzle. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree with you, Carl. And, and uh, yeah, that, those golfers who stand there for hours certainly wear the green out, but also uh, they're not, it's, it's like bull bashers on the range, isn't it? Same, uh, same concept. Well, if you look at it, Ollie, I mean, <clears throat> you know, most people would say that they were better putters when they were younger than when they're older. And I've always sort of struggled. Why? Not everybody. But why is that the case for, more, for most people? Well, you know, then have a look at what we did as, as kids to, to become good putters. Now, you don't you don't see many kids who've just started to play the game. And, and, and they've not had too much instruction. You don't see them standing there trying to do the same thing over and over again. What, what did we do as kids? We, we played lots of games. We played against our mates. You know, we played for a few quid. We played for a can of Coke or whatever it may be. You know, go back into the history of the game. The great, you know, Spanish players, Sevi and Alathabal, What? How did they grow up as caddies? They would, they would play games with, you know, with each other on the, on the putting green. So all of those games that we've played as kids there's deep learning going on because you're developing ability to get the ball into the hole based on one attempt and then as we get older and supposedly more intelligent we get lost we, we, we disappear down this rabbit hole of technical perfection and, and in the end can just lose sight of that creative element of, of the game that just you know re releases the opportunity to become a better putter totally 
Yeah, totally agree. So, so like from what you're saying, Carl, my understanding is obviously there's um, a pre-shot routine, there's like a during-shot routine and, and a post-shot routine. We mm. call it whatever you might, but there's three areas mm. where, where we need to place our attention. So going back to the, the, the sort of pre-shot, going into targeting, can mm. you, uh, and visualisation, it's, it's a my favourite word, can you expand on that topic and perhaps give the listeners how do they go about and practice that and find the best way for them? Yeah, I think it's an area that we're perhaps only even scratching the surface of understanding, Ollie, that, you know, what, what happens to create movement? Well, you know, I think we're pretty, we're pretty clear that humans will organize movement around a clear intention, you know, going back to our evolution, you know, when we, when we had to secure prey. Now I can't imagine mm-hmm. that when, you know, cavemen were, were roaming around that there were, there were too many rock throwing coaches or spear throwing coaches. Thankfully, I was, we were probably petered out as a species, but you know, you think what must happen to throw an object to a target at some level, we get an image of what the task is. So you get onto the putting green and, and employ that idea. You know, one of the most powerful things that you can understand is that if you ask the right questions, that good questions will create vivid images in, in the brain. You know, if I said to everybody listening to this podcast now, what, what color is your car? Or what does it look like when you walk into your house? You, you'll get some images flashing up into your, into your head of those, those situations. So as ridiculously simple as it sounds, one of, the, one of the ideas that we talk about in the lost art of putting is that you walk onto the green and, and you look at the putt and, and you ask yourself a simple question. And that question would be, what does this ball need to do to go into the hole? Now, by asking that question, what your brain body system will do, you'll, you'll, it, it will get to work. You know, it'll get to work to see what the ball has to do in, term of, in terms of line and pace into the hole. Um, and, and, you know, one of, the, one of the big things for me is, is, can you see the entry point? So by asking that question, you'll create some images in your mind. And then, you know, what we find with a lot of players is you can get, you know, you can get really creative with this. You know, some, some players will, will see a line that's got a colour to it. Some people see a liquid pouring into the hole. So you can kind of play around with and personalise these, these visual images. And then what I would say is get onto the green, do lots of single puts from lots of different places um, and notice your tendencies. Are you, do, you, do you tend to overread? Do you tend to underread? Are you better at right to left, left to right, uphill, downhill? So, so become much more tuned into your own tendencies as a putter um, by asking these, these good questions that create good images. And, and then you'll find out much more about your, your own tendencies. Because I think if, if there is a route to better golf, it's just becoming really, really clear on what your tendencies are as a unique human, you know, as a unique uh, individual, a unique golfer. Hmm. No, I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you, um, something I found, Carl, is that um, especially better players, when we're going into visualisation and, and um, simulating um, what they see, that quite often they can see it different on left to right and right to left as in what they mm-hmm. see can be different um is that something yeah. you've experienced and can you perhaps go down the rabbit hole to explain why that might be 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I certainly wouldn't deem myself expert enough to understand why that happens. But yeah, you know, I think really great putters do do see slightly different visual images for maybe left to right or right to left or uphill down. You know, we get some players who have different colours, whether it's left to right or right to left. Mm. Um, so again, I think it's just it's just. Uh, getting out there and, and and just paying a little bit more attention to what goes through your brain before you set up over the ball. You know, it's the bit that's, it's the bit that's missing for most people's practice. You know, even, even looking at what most golfers do before they go out onto the golf course, they'll walk onto the green um, to warm up with the, with putting with three balls, which is just about the craziest thing you can ever do because, you know, you'll stand there with the first ball and leave it short. The next one, you'll knock it past and then, like the genius that you are, after three attempts, your brain manages to work out how to knock the ball in. And then you get on the golf course and you only get one, one attempt. You know, we've had some pretty good players you know, in the last couple of years report back that, and it, and it sounds too ridiculously simple, that they've, they've transformed their putting ability as a result of practicing much more just with one ball lots of games and lots of situations where you you're simulating what you what you have on the on, on the golf course you know i think that the technical bit can be done pretty quickly you know you can check i'm not against checking things and you know checking your alignments and stuff like that if you feel that helps but surely once you've done that you know get it get into get into the art of becoming a great putter rather than being lost in the science of the stroke okay no that's cool so our golfers are now um, the pre-shot is good, so they're 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 asking themselves good questions. What does a good putt look like? They're they're reading the putt, they're they're visualizing it, they're perhaps feeling what a good putt feels like by practice yeah. swings. They step up over the ball. What techniques or tips or advice can you give uh, the listeners, perhaps to? quieten the mind in that stage because we've all been there stood over that three foot putt we stood over and we've gone oh sugar we've had that that mm. moment so yeah can we sort of expand perhaps on that topic carl yeah if you if you look at what goes on when we when we do step over the ball that causes all of the problem it's it's projections it's it's the minds the human mind's tendency to Either either go back to something that's happened in the past, i.e. you've missed a bunch of these three footers, or you're projecting forwards thinking, well, if I can just knock this one in, it will keep me at level par. And if I can keep at level par after nine, surely I can par the next few holes. And if I par the next few holes, I'll get to 16. 16 is a par five and I'll birdie that. And, and all of a sudden you're away with the fairies in, in terms of this sort of mind endlessly projecting backwards and forwards in terms of time. So... You know, to, to sort of set the context would probably be one of the plays I've worked with um, for many, many years, Graham McDowell. You know, one of the things um, I spoke to him a couple of years ago and he would, he'd been struggling with his, with his putting stroke, uh, sort of struggling with his putting. And I asked him, you know, what, what was going on? And he, he said, well, yeah, somebody had told him that he'd, he'd got this, that and the other wrong with his putting stroke, which... You know, I always think it's interesting when somebody tells, tells somebody who's won the US Open and hold a putt for, to win the Ryder Cup that they've not got a good putting stroke, but that's another for another time. Um, but, you know, and I said to him, I said, well, what's going on? What, what are you paying attention to on the golf course? And, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm very much involved in the, in the stroke. So I said, 
you know, just just remind me, Graham, when you when you've played your best, when you've held some of those putts to win tournaments, when you've closed out Ryder Cups, what what, what were you doing well? And he, he smiled at me, said, "Yeah, I know." I said, "You're going to mention the breath, aren't you?" And what what, what we what we one of the things that we did for many many years that we worked together is is the idea that Graham, once he'd gone through his routine, would before he actually stepped into the port he'd have his practice stroke and then consciously before he stepped into the to the ball would be to be aware of consciously releasing his breath now what sounds a very sort of trite thing to do has a lot of things going for it because by definition our mind can go into the future or it can go into the past but our body can't our body the body is a gateway to the to the present moment so by actually uh, focusing on consciously releasing your breath you're kind of grounding yourself in the in the present moment as a result of doing that but there's also a physiological response to that as well it tends to activate more of a sort of relaxation response and um it, what what that what that did for graham also when he released the breath it was a, it was a signal that we'd set up that you've done everything you can now the put will either go in or it'll miss but you've done all all you can anyway to cut a very long story short uh, he was he was playing in the um, Dominican Republic a, a week or so after that, and we said that he agreed to to sort of focus a bit more on this. Anyway, he, he'd, um, he'd he'd been struggling for a while in tournaments and was playing only on exemptions, so he was kind of running out of exemptions on the PGA Tour. So he, he played pretty well the first couple of rounds, and then on the Saturday at this Corrales event in in Dominican Republic on the PGA Tour, he had twenty puts in the third round on the Saturday which is never a bad thing to do in the, on the PGA Tour is to have 20 puts. And he, had 50, he actually had 15 single puts, one after another. He only came out of his bubble. We'll laugh about it now as a result of... Uh, he had a discussion with his caddy as he was walking onto the green who reminded him that he'd had 15 straight single puts. You know, he actually, he actually won that tournament. Now, was it, was it just a result of paying attention and releasing his breath? No, all of, that was just a lot of things were in place, but it was a great point. It was a great focus of attention for him to have over the ball and I think that would be something that you know your listeners could experiment with is, is is something when you're over the ball that grounds you in the present moment like the breath totally a great way to well as you said yeah to get into that present moment you said something a minute ago that really caught my attention which was the body is a gateway to the present moment can you expand on that I like that it's exciting it's maybe just one of the most important things that you could consider in 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 sport, really. Well, you know, if 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 everybody listening now, if I said to everybody, think of something that you did yesterday, and immediately something will pop up that you did yesterday. If I said to everybody, I want you to tell me what you're going to do at the weekend, you'll project forward in in time. But then if I said, as you're sitting here listening to the sound of my voice and you notice the feeling of your feet on the floor or you notice the sensations of your body, just by placing your attention on your body, the body can only exist in the present moment. So it's a, you know, if you think of all, the, all of the great disciplines like yoga, meditation, martial arts, pretty much all of them at some point get you to pay attention to the breath, get you very much body focused. So by, by placing your attention on, the, on your physical body, by definition, you're actually back here in the present moment. So it's such a simple tool that is underutilized in golf. You know, think about 
the 90% of golf that we're not playing, you know, that's when a lot of the damage is done on the course mentally because we're, we're doing all of these projections. You know, we've had some good success with players doing very simple things like just, just simply being aware of the feeling of your feet as you're walking in between shots. And, you know, as a result of that, you tend to pick up on a better rhythm of your walking and things like that. But by, by paying attention to the body, you are back here in the present moment. So instead of having a theory about playing one shot at a time or a theory about being in the present, you've actually got a, a discipline that you can that you can work on. You know, that's that's something that, that you know, we've, we've run a lot of meditation, uh, mindfulness courses over the last couple of years. And, you know, that's something that the mindfulness coach that I work with, Vin Harris, has made me very aware of is that, you know, at any given point in the day, you can simply just check in with your breath. And by checking in with your breath, you tend to just calm yourself down and, and stay a little bit more here and now. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Love that. So, yeah, 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 placing your attention on your body or your, or your senses, right? Is it linked to the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, completely. You know, there, was a great, there was a great therapist called Fritz Perls, who one of his famous lines was, we, we need to stop thinking and come to our senses. And, you know, that's a, that's a great way of describing that when we tune into our physical senses, you know, what we can feel, what we can hear, the sights around us, the sounds around us, we tend to be brought back here and into the, into the present. Hmm. On, the, on that note, uh, obviously, that's an, uh, something else that golfers need to practice meditation, I would say, or, you know, breathing. Um, how can they learn? How can they train that? Have you got something on your site or um, what's what's? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we, we, we run mindfulness courses. Um, we do them um, on Zoom at the moment and they run every uh, they, they run. For, it's a four week course. Um, so yeah, you can have a look at the mindfactor.com. There's a guy called Vin Harris, who I, I do the courses with. He's just a phenomenal teacher of this. He's been actively involved in uh, mindfulness for 30 odd, 40 years. He, he, he's part of the MSC program up at Aberdeen University. So it's all, it's not, it's not just kind of, uh, me and a mate doing it. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty well researched, well, solid, solid research behind it, you know, and the, and the benefits of mindfulness, the, the amount of uh, literature available on the, on the benefits for us, all of that is, 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 is pretty, pretty great, you know, and it's something you don't have to be on the golf course to do it. And it's, you know, it might, it might benefit your golf, but more importantly, it'll benefit your life. Especially in the, the current climate we're in with, with COVID car. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it, it would be a foolish person, I think, to say that the, the situation that we've been through, the situation that we're going through and the situation that we're, we're going to face isn't anything other than daunting and very worrying. Um, uh, and it's very easy to to get carried away in these projections. So I think I think the discipline of mindfulness of being able to you know, it sounds trite and corny, but getting a little bit better at being here and now. So you're facing whatever you can, whatever you can do today and making the most of today in, in whatever small way it possibly is. You know, I'm a big, big believer in accumulating good days to, to get closer to being the golfer that you want to be or the person you want to be or the, you know, fitness or whatever it, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I think, I think in the, in the current situation that we're, we're all unfortunately going through, um, I think the skills of, of being 
mindful are, are more required than ever, really. Mm, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, wonderful. Okay, so um, so we've done the pre-shot. We started to breathe over the ball, so we're hitting it in the present moment, looking at our senses yeah. or focusing on our senses. We've hit the shot. The good, the bad, the ugly. Let's go. No, yeah, good, the bad, the ugly. It doesn't matter what the result of the shot is. What's the what 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 do we do then? The the post routine. What's what's what do you advise there to to deal with? Yeah, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, I mean, just before we get to that, I want you know one caveat I would I would give everybody with this is that you know pretty much my passion is is that you know it's not a case of what is right for everybody to do it's very much about exploring your own experience and and, and sort of personalizing it but i think the number one thing to look at with the post shot you know if there was if there was a, a, a great mental skill for, for most golfers to explore getting better at it would be acceptance and you know we could spend a whole podcast talking about acceptance because it's it sounds simple, but it really, really isn't in the sense that acceptance isn't resignation. You know, you're not giving up. You, you, you definitely want to hold the pup. But, but underlying everything is, is the, the, the firm conviction that whatever, whatever this ball does, because it's only got two options on a pup, it's either going to go in or it's not, that, that either, either outcome, you are going to be 100% okay with that outcome. And as I said, you can have a conceptual understanding of that, but actually to build this into your behavior takes constant commitment over a long, long period of time. There are a number of players that I've worked with that you know, every week we, we, we get back to understanding the importance of acceptance. Because to me, if you look at, and, and all of us have experienced this, you know, you see some of the funny strokes and the jabby strokes and all the rest of it in putting. Now we can try and fix that with technique, but good luck with that. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in the source of those jabby techniques and those stabby strokes. And, and to me, underlying all of it is, is, is a, is a, a lack of a willingness to accept any outcome. There's, there's so much fear where puts are concerned because there's a finality to it that we, it's almost like the brain doesn't want to face the outcome of a missed put. Now the paradox of it is, is if you can completely accept if the ball goes in or if the ball misses, if you can 100% accept that with every fiber of your being, you're actually free to make a stroke, you know, because the strange putting strokes that you see when the hole is involved, you don't see when people put to open space when there's no outcome involved. So I think building in the concept of acceptance is, is such a powerful, powerful um, idea to look at, not just for putting, for, for, the whole, for the whole game. Because, you know, when, when you have total acceptance, you know, if somebody said to me, what's the greatest example of mental toughness that you've ever seen in the game of golf? It would be, for, for me, you know, one of my heroes is Bernard Langer. You know, you look at the guy now and he's, 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 he's in his sort of um, well into his, his 60s, but could still probably win on the main tour. He's a phenomenon. He doesn't look any different than he did 30 years ago as well. I mean, whatever, whatever Bernard's on, it's, it's, it should be worth taking. But to me, if you look back at, you know, some of your listeners may, may, may not remember this, but the, the Ryder Cup back at Kiowa Island many, many years ago, and Bernard had a three-foot putt to win the Ryder Cup. 
And so not only is he is it a putt important to him, he's got a whole continent resting on the outcome of this putt. And he, and he missed it. And he missed the three-foot putt to win the Ryder Cup. And because America held it, they retained the cup. And, you know, what, what I look at after that is that, first of all, what Bernard said, he said, you know, he's, he's a man of deep faith, but he, he said that he, he looked at what he'd done. He, he read the putt. He, he committed to, to the putt. Uh, he hit the putt where he wanted to, but it just didn't go in. And the amazing thing was then, you know, imagine, imagine most people, if they've missed a putt to win the Ryder Cup, they would have probably stayed indoors for three months. But the week after, Bernard went and played in a tournament in Germany, in his own, his, his own country. And, and I can't remember the, the tournament, the event. It was a European tour event, and he won it by seven shots. Uh, I look at that and think, my goodness, here's a guy who's just missed a putt to win the Ryder Cup. That would have tormented a lot of people. But the week after, he goes and wins by seven shots. And, and clearly what Bernard had done is he's had a tremendous acceptance of an outcome in the most extreme circumstances. He'd done all he could, but he accepted the outcome. It wasn't the outcome he wanted, but he accepted it. And that allowed him to, allowed him to move on. So as I said, for anybody listening, it, you, you, can, you can get the conceptual understanding of this. It sounds great. You think, oh, yeah, I'll just accept any outcome. But you really need to, to live this. And, and keep doing it and keep committing to it because the actual embodiment of acceptance is very different than the, the, the sort of theoretical principle. Mm. Yeah, again, it needs training, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, you, it's not a continuum. You know, you'll go out some days and your level of acceptance is, is high and then other days, you know, you fall into the trap as well. You go out and you, your level of acceptance is high and you hold a bunch of putts and then the mind sort of kicks in and thinks, oh, I've got it now. If I'm, if I'm really accepting, I'm going to hold loads of putts. And then, no, that's not, that's not the case. Acceptance is acceptance, good, bad, or, as you say, indifferent. So, you know, I, if there was something for people to experiment with for an extended period of time, it is the commitment to acceptance. And as I say, it don't fall into the trap of, of acceptance being resignation. You're not giving up. It's not that you're not trying to hold puts. You're trying, you're trying with every fiber of your being to knock it in. And it's tough to, gr to grasp intellectually this, but the prize, the other side of that intellectual concept is a freedom of a putting stroke to allow you to get closer to your true capabilities. Mm. Gonna like it. Um, Carl, you spend like your life helping others, right? That's that's what you do, that's what you get paid to do. And what I want to know is why do you have that sense of wanting to help people? What's 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 your main driver? What's your why to to have that? You know, because that's that's all you do is help other people, right? So that's a it's a really good question, Ollie, and uh, I've perhaps not not sat and contemplated it, maybe may enough for myself. But you know, I'm I've just always been very interested. I mean, I I you know wasn't particularly successful. I got in the way of myself when I was trying to play, and so I became interested in that purely at first for myself. But then I think my failures as a player helped me with with other players as I, as I went along. So no, number one, I'm, I'm just intensely curious about what gets in the way of performance. So it's something that interests me. I'm, you know, I do enjoy chats like this and getting people on my podcast and sharing ideas at seminars and things like that. And I've kind of always worked on the premise that, you know, I, I, I've not got the answers. I've sometimes I think I ask decent questions, but I've certainly not got all the answers. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's some, 
there's some great moments to be had when when you know if you played a small part in somebody getting the handicap down or you know every, everybody thinks that the sort of top players are the real glamour end and yeah that's nice but you know if you if you can help somebody um you know get a bit closer to to what they want to get to get out of the game of golf at, at any level it's a, it's it's still a it's still a great thrill really so and so in answer to your question number one i'm interested in the subject and number two you know there is some there is some some great pleasure when you when you do assist people how tell me like what's the one thing that mentally gets on your goat what's the one thing that really like you're obviously helping people with mental skills all the time there must be times that you know that gives you anxiety or whatever makes you really angry perhaps could you share what that might be and then what's your techniques what technique do you do to you know that like helps you calm down or get back into the present maybe yeah i think um you know what what, what do they say um hairdressers often don't have a good hairstyle do they that you know that you know you can you can you can have a, a great ability to make people look look good in the in the mirror in front of you but sometimes you don't do it yourself and yeah I think I think sometimes there's a challenge applying all of these things uh, in, in, your, in your own world and you know I'm as guilty as anybody probably in the past of getting getting too annoyed if the traffic's building up in front of me or I get stuck at an airport or or whatever and I think you know, certainly what we've all been through the last 12 months or so has, has aided probably the, one, of the, one of the bigger elements to, 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 you know, working more efficiently. And that's perspective, isn't it? You know, I think we can lose sight of what's truly important. And I think perspective is a, is, is a wonderful thing and or a, or a vital thing. And, you know, I think getting a, a little bit better at just checking yourself and, uh, on a regular basis and actually saying how important is this and, you know, I think you know. You mentioned about players, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm a bit better now than I used to be. That you know, in the past, I probably got too emotionally involved in outcomes, and and now I'm 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 a bit better at recognizing. You know, if somebody's done well and they've won a tournament, don't I need to make sure I don't get carried away of my importance in that because I didn't hit a single shot, I didn't hit a single putt. It wasn't me who won the tournament. I might I might have assisted them a little bit, but it wasn't me hitting the shots. So don't take too much credit when somebody does well. But by the same measure, I'm a little bit better as well. If somebody's not done well and, and, and they haven't performed well, that, you know, I've done my best and I've, I've helped them in whatever way I thought was the best way. So it wasn't my fault either that, they, you know, by the same measure, it wasn't my fault if they didn't perform well. So, you know, don't get too high when somebody does well and don't get too down when somebody doesn't perform as well as they could. You know, you, you're trying to create a collaboration and it's, uh, you know, perspective is such a such an important uh, element in all of this mm. interesting yeah it's an important word isn't it perspective just put things into perspective you can you know yeah absolutely so you, know, you think a lot you, you know you look at some of the language that's used around golf and you know perhaps we, 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 you know the commentators on tv will be a bit better at this going forward you know when you terms like you know uh, this could be a disaster and you know it's it's a it's a tragedy that you know he missed that put and you think no it isn't you know he's missed the put he's 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 you know he's still won a million dollars finishing second or whatever it's not then you know tr 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 words like tragedy and disaster shouldn't be applied to somebody missing a put or you know missing a cut or whatever in golf you know we i think we're a bit clearer now of what's happened what tragedy and disaster is mm, yeah absolutely
Um, so, Carl, you've, um, you know, over the years, you've worked with over uh, 100 tall players. Um, I, I bet you've met some right characters along the way. Now, you can name names or you don't have to name names, but I want to know who is like the most crazy or if you don't want to say who, what's the craziest thing you've seen like one of them do, like a funny story on tour? Like, I, I don't know, like an example for me is my best mate, Dav, um, was a very good golfer and he, he got this bit of advice from someone once which was put elastic but he used to get really angry dad really really angry mm. on the golf course and the, he told him to get this big elastic band and he put it around his wrist every time he got angry he would pluck it to like give himself a bit of pain and I just remember playing the first four holes at Penn Rawson like every shot it was like ding 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 <laughs> by the time he got to the fourth it was like nearly bleeding but anyway hopefully he listens to that and uh it, it laughs but um yeah what's your uh crazy story what's it of your crazy person um, well, there's, there's there's certainly there's certainly a lot of craziness out there i think um you know one thing that comes to mind i, I was i was lucky to work with louis Oosthuizen, um a while ago um when, when he won the open at st andrews and People listening may or may not remember uh, that he. One of the things that we'd set up was a trigger for his concentration, where he 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 looked at a red dot on his glove before every every shot to kind of get into the shot and then come out of it. And you know, again, what seemed a simple thing had some some layers underneath it. Um, but that particular thing got a little bit of press. There was a bit of mystery about it at the time because when he when he won, nobody knew what was going on, and they could see him looking at this dot on on, on the glove. And after he won the Open at St Andrews by by seven shots, um, you know it was it was it was kind of kind of in most most you know, newspapers and things like that for afterwards. And it was it was interesting. After that, I, I started seeing quite a few people with white gloves and, and, and red dots. And I do remember going around the country and I saw this guy on the first tee with a red dot on his glove. And I remember walking up to him and I said, oh, that's interesting. You've got a red dot on your glove. He said, yeah. He said, I've no idea what it's all about. He said, but I thought I'd give it a go anyway. <laughs> so he, 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 I thought, well, that just shows golfers will try just about anything. Yeah, that's funny. It's a bit like plumb bobbing. I mentioned earlier on about uh, gadgets and things like that. And again, I'm not... I'm not totally anti anti gadgets, but I think they need to be used in in moderation. I remember doing a, a putting clinic at um, at Wentworth a few years ago, a couple of years ago actually, and some lovely guys there who, who were part of the day, and uh, we talked about a few things about the kind of non linear approach and more single puts and things like that that we talked about earlier on. And this guy comes up to me at the end, and he said, "He said I've just bought one of those putting mirrors." He said, "Are you telling me that it's a it's a waste of money?" And I said, no, I said, it's not a waste of money at all. I said, what you've got to do is wait for the winter. I said, they're very, very useful in the winter. And he said, what, what to practice indoors? I said, no, I said, in the winter time, I said, when you, you get frost on your windscreen, I said, these mirrors are a fantastic way of scraping the frost off your mirror. So you can use it. You can use it for that. So uh, the, the, the group what, what thought that was a, moderately <laughs> amusing. The, the, the group was there and they, they all thought, thought it was moderately amusing. So it was... Uh, he still reminds me of that when I speak to him. That's all right then. He didn't punch you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. Um, Carl, uh, mindful of your time, let's have uh, uh, just a, one, one more sort of question. Or, um, yeah, let, let's talk about uh, drills potentially. Um, I think par 18, am I right you invented par 18? 
Yeah, I, I would lay claim to that. There's a lot of there's an awful lot of things that I've stolen over the years, but I do find it amusing when I hear people explaining to me about what par 18 is because I, I I did come up with that. I did come up with that a long long time ago, and uh, it's an old one, but it's a good one. And still the best know, drill ever, in my opinion. That I I did it when I was playing. You know, when I was a kid, nearly 20 years ago, probably. And I still to this yeah. day subscribe it to people as the ultimate chipping putting drill well it is only because you know yeah coming back to what we've talked about what does what does what does a good training drill do well it simulates every requirement of the game itself now par 18 for those listening who don't know what it is is that you go to the chipping green with um you, you play nine different holes from nine different locations three easy, three medium, three difficult shots, and every hole is a par two. So you've got to chip it on, you've got to hole out. But the key to par 18 is to really take it to the nth degree that, you know, if, if you normally chip with your glove off, make sure that you do that. If you normally put with your glove off, do that. Just replicate everything that you would do on the golf course when you come to play. Mark it with the same marker that you use. Use the golf ball that you'll play golf, that you'll actually play golf with. But the great, excuse me, the great thing is with par 18, every shot that you play as a consequence, every hole is a simulation of the real game. But more importantly, if you keep your scoring, you've got a, you've got a tangible way of measuring whether you're getting better, a crucial part of the game. You know, I remember doing this with Darren Clark many years ago and um, he, we, we got, got him going with par 18 and, you know, Darren didn't send that many texts, but I still have the text on my phone because he's such a competitive guy, you know, a few weeks later. And it was just before he won the WGC event in, uh, in Akron when he beat Woods. Uh, and he sent me this text saying shot par 18 for the first time. So it was, it was a great example of that this particular game created emotion. You had to deal with bad shots. You had to deal with everything that the game throws at you. So in, in 10 minutes of 15 minutes of par 18, it's maybe the ultimate training device because you've, you've got everything that get the, every question that the game's going to ask you, the game, the, the training game will ask you. Mm, totally agree. What's the best score you've ever witnessed, Carl? Uh, I've seen a couple of 18s. I've not not witnessed anybody doing 17 yet. So if anybody out there gets a, gets a 17, they should they should let us know. I've not I'm turned professional. 17. No, I get a lot of my players no. doing it and reporting back. And I think I've shot level par. This is when I was a kid. Um, twice or three times. Mm. Um, mm. With, a, with a chip in or two, but um, yeah, yeah, never shot eight. Eight, 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 18 is a seriously good score. I mean, for anybody, you know, once you get under 21. Yeah, you know, you're kind of in business, really. Do you have like a, a perhaps a handicap scale there for it, Carl? Or do you, like do you just create make it for yourself? Like, just make it for yourself, you know. And you know, and the, and the three medium, three easy, three three difficult. You know, that depends on your capability. You know, yeah. if it's somebody who's just you know twenty handicap, you'd 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 maybe play nine relatively straightforward shots to just begin with and just get some confidence with, but. Yeah. You know, if you commit, I would say for everybody listening, if you committed to playing that game once or twice a week, the, the entire year, you will, you will reduce your handicap. It's as simple as that. Totally agree. Yeah. Would you limit to like only allowed to perform it once a day? Because yeah, 
Yeah, I, sorry, I didn't mention that, Ollie. Yeah, that's the critical thing. You're not allowed to play it more than once because, again, you're simulating everything that the game requires of you. So you, you only get one go at the medal on a Saturday or a Wednesday night. So that's why par 18 should only ever be done strictly one time and one time alone. And if you duff it, there's no there's no mulligans. You've got to just carry on with it. You've got to deal with the, the frustration. Um, the, 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 the stricter you are with it, the more you'll get from it. Brilliant. I love that, Carl. Just to finish then, um, on your website, you mentioned golden rules. So like the senior package mm. I was looking at earlier, it's the six golden rules for the seniors. I don't want to give them all away. Can you give us half a golden rule to to, to, to finish on? Yeah, I think half a, half a golden rule would be um, change your relationship to scoring in the sense that, you know, people go out and play golf and we're obsessed by power, obsessed by the score relative to our handicap. Change the frame on that. Maybe play a different game where you, you're scoring some of your processes hole by hole. Um, you know, I've not got time probably to go into the whole nitty gritty of it. But, if you know, if you can focus on some processes that you want to do on each hole and you score those hole by hole, you shift your attention from something that you can't control, which is the score score against par to something that you can control, which is your, your, your process score. The ironic, not the ironic thing that the, 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 the revelation for most people is if your process score goes up, you, your actual score comes down. Love it. Okay. That's brilliant. Thank you, Carl. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat today. Uh, you know, really appreciate you coming on. Can you please just like share with the listeners, where do they find um, find you on the web and on, on social media mm. and um, yeah, your podcast, improve your, yeah, no, yeah. improve your game. No, <laughs> what is it? Improve your mind to improve your game. Boost your brain to boost, boost your, your brain game. to uh, improve your game. I think this is the tagline. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm a bit of a bit of a Luddite with social media. I try and avoid it at, at all costs, really. And I know I'm in the minority with that. Um, I just think it's something that could should be used sparingly for lots of reasons. But um, the website is themindfactor.com. Uh, the books that we've done, done with Gary Nichol, the, the Lost Art of Putting um, and the Lost Art of of playing golf that they're available on, on, on Amazon. We've hopefully got a new one coming out this, this next year about the, the scoring game. Um, and yeah, the brain booster, if you're interested in the podcast that comes out uh, every week, usually on a Thursday. So uh, if you, if you punch either my name in or the brain booster into, into your, wherever you get your podcast, it's uh, it'll hopefully come up. Absolutely. The, um, yeah, the, the, for me, the, the library of like knowledge just on your website is, um, is crucial. So it's, I think it's important that everyone goes on to that. I'll put the link into the uh, show notes as well. So uh, thank you very much thank for you. your time, Carl. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Great stuff. We'll uh, speak to you soon. Okay. All the best. Cheers. Thanks, Carl.